Well, if you have a Bible, um, you can open it to Jonah chapter 1. Uh, this morning's passage, Jonah 1, starting in verse 17. Uh, we are halfway through, really, uh, uh, studying together the book of Jonah this summer. Now, to give kind of a, a Netflix-style recap uh, that you normally skip through, but right now you don't get that option, uh, of what uh, has happened thus far in the story. Jonah is a prophet who gets called by God to bring a message of hope to Nineveh, who were the bullies of the ancient world. And so Jonah says no. Jonah decides to book a one-way ticket for the opposite direction, as far away as he possibly can. But God is just as interested in winning the Ninevites' hearts as he is in winning Jonah's heart. And so when Jonah runs, God pursues him. Jonah gets on a boat, and God sends a storm his way, a group of sailors his way, And Jonah keeps running and running and running until he's thrown overboard into the sea where he is now sinking like a rock until the love of God swallows him whole in a giant fish. You see, Jonah is a a book that is about the uncommon compassion and grace of God. It's written not so much that we would analyze every week the the comedy of errors that is Jonah, but that each week we would see ourselves in Jonah and that we would stare with him into the heart of God's character, his uncommon compassion and grace for us until it sinks down deep into our bones. So follow as I read Jonah 1. Uh, starting in verse 17. It says, Now the Lord prepared a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me, From deep in the realm of the dead, I I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me, and I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me, seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath even barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, you brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols 
turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on dry land. Uh, Sometimes there's stories or uh, movies where until you get a, a specific character in the story, until you understand what's going on with them, none of it really truly makes sense to you. So if you've ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense, which I intentionally chose as something that came out 23 years ago to exonerate myself from destroying any show that you are trying to watch right now. If you've ever seen the movie, it doesn't really make sense until you finally discover that Bruce Willis's character isn't alive. Once you do, once you get that, suddenly the whole thing starts to make sense for you. Well, the fish that swallows up Jonah is that character in this story. Uh, This chapter, it's probably what most of us, if we're familiar with the Bible, think of when we think of the story of Jonah. And in one sense, it's this this incredible story, one that, that if anything, we kind of cheapen by just turning it into a, a little fun cartoon. But do you really get what's going on with the fish? Because you see, until you get the fish, until you understand the fish, you won't understand Jonah. And in fact, until you understand the fish, you'll never understand God. And until you understand the fish, you'll never understand yourself. So do you get the fish? Well, when we do, it shows us three things, three things that are both at the heart of this book and the heart of everything that God has done for us in Jesus. This fish shows us God's surprising grace and God's severe grace and God's slow grace. So first, the fish shows us God's surprising grace. Uh, when, I, when I actually first started thinking about preaching through the book of Jonah, I, I kind of thought about doing a, a whole sermon just on the miraculous fish and the miracles in the Bible. But actually, the more I, I studied the passage, the more I realized how much that would miss the point. You know, this fish doesn't come into the story to shock our view of the miraculous. This fish is here to shock our view of God. You know, the poet William H. Auden was was once explaining his faith to someone. And he said, I believe in Jesus Christ because he fulfills none of my dreams. Because he is in every respect the opposite of what he would be if I could have made him in my own image. That is the God that we discover in this fish. See, here's how every religion, every philosophy works. Include the good guys, exclude the bad guys. Right? That's, that's every religion, that's 
types, so many types of so-called Christianity. That's every worldview, every modern worldview there is. Include the tolerant, exclude the intolerant. Include the native-born, exclude the foreigner. I mean, it's just human nature. This is how it works. And so it shouldn't then be a big surprise that this is how we assume God works, that God sticks with the good guys and he stays far from the bad guys. And if that's true, then the book of Jonah actually ends in chapter 1, verse 16. See, at the end of chapter 1, the the brave and compassionate sailors are are making sacrifices and vows to God. Meanwhile, the, the despicable, disgraced Jonah is sinking to the bottom of the ocean. And if God is anything like Jonah thinks he is, if God's anything like Israel, who Jonah represents, thinks he is, God's anything like we think he is, then this is where the story ends, with God sailing off into the sunset with the good guys while Jonah, the bad guy, sinks down to his death. Until we read the Gospel of Jonah 117. Meanwhile, the Lord appointed a fish to swallow up Jonah. Now, Jonah, he's the bad guy in the story. He's the one who should be excluded. He's the one who God should leave behind, who should be done with, who should be forgotten about in the bottom of the ocean. And yet the first thing we're told before Jonah confesses, before he prays, before Jonah even has any clue what's going on, God's prepared his rescue. God's appointed a fish. God's sticking with Jonah. And this is unlike any category that we have for God. This is the surprising grace of God that we don't get until we start to get the fish, that God is actually after the bad guys, that God is including the disqualified, that God sticks with the failures, that as we just sang, he he welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. That Jesus comes in the gospel saying, he has come to call to himself the sick, not the well. That he comes befriending all the wrong types, loving all the wrong people. That he died for flops and failures like Jonah, like these sailors, like the Ninevites, like me, like you. See, the whole point of the book of Jonah, as one scholar on the book says, isn't to ask ourselves, what's Jonah really like? But to ask ourselves, what's God really like? And this fish shows us he he is unlike anything we ever could have imagined. That he has a surprising grace that's actually after the last people on earth we'd expect him to be after. And that's good news. Because some of us in here this morning think that person is us. So do you get the fish? Shows us God's surprising grace. 
but also his severe grace. You know, chapter two shows the, the transformation of Jonah by God using some of the most difficult circumstances that he could possibly think up to, to draw Jonah into his uncommon compassion and grace for him. And we see it by, by looking at three things here in chapter two. First, where Jonah is. Jonah is at rock bottom. The waves crash over him, the deep surround him, the seaweed wrapped over him. Jo- Jonah's describing a burial at sea. He sinks down and down and down until he said he's literally brushing up against the realm of the dead. This is completely hopeless. It it literally could not get any more worse for Jonah. It's the severe grace of God that will use anything he needs to interrupt self-destructive patterns in us. Jonah thinks that he knows better than God. Jonah thinks he can run his life, that he can run the world better than God, and so God lets him bottom out. Not to turn his back on Jonah, but to open up his arms to Jonah. To show Jonah the heart of God's uncommon love for him that he couldn't see any other way. You know, the other day I was, I was outside in the afternoon in the backyard playing with our kids and my son Neville noticed that the moon, he could see part of the moon in the middle of the day, which fascinated him. Uh, and uh, he was curious about it. He was asking all these questions. When does the moon go to sleep? Why is the moon awake right now? Uh, do we see the moon all the time? And, and one of the things he asked was, well, how come, how come it's so hard to, to see right now? How come I can't really make it out so well right now? And I said, well, it's actually there every day you look at it. It's just not dark enough yet to see it. Well, when you are in Christ, God's uncommon love, his wild pursuit for you, his compassion and grace, it is always present in your life, but sometimes it's just not dark enough yet to see it. So where Jonah is and what Jonah does Jonah, at rock bottom, prays. In my distress, he says, I I called out to the Lord. From deep in the realm of the dead, I I called for help. You know, the author Henry Nouwen says that solitude, being alone with God, solitude is the furnace of transformation. See, it's not just being at rock bottom that changed Jonah. It's prayer at rock bottom that changed him. Jonah prays, and and not just any prayer. He prays a prayer that bleeds scripture. Every line in his prayer is some sort of allusion or paraphrase from a psalm. In other words, Jonah at, at rock bottom thinks back into his spiritual memory and starts to reflect the character of God that he has has known since he was a boy and yet maybe is starting to believe for the first time ever. You know, as a pastor, I've been with many couples who are, they are not in a good spot. 
And one of them is asked to move out for a season, and, and the times where that has worked for good. There's been healing and there's been reconciliation. There's a lot of different reasons why, but one of them is this. Whoever that person is that moves out, they have regular times where they close the door and sit in a room with their Bible and pray. Where they, where they pray from rock bottom. Where like Jonah, they pray from a place of helplessness, a, a place where they're starting to, to think, maybe it's too late for God to come through now. And much to their surprise, just like Jonah, he does because just like Jonah, in the gospel, your sin will never let God ignore your cry for help. So where Jonah is, what Jonah does, thirdly, what Jonah gets. Jonah, at rock bottom, prays and gets mercy. In verse 2, he says he calls out to God and God listened to his cry for help. Uh, in the Old Testament, when it says that God listens to someone's cry for help, that's not literally saying God just heard what they said. It's a metaphor to mean that God heard their cry and he responded, that he answered, that he met them in their need with his grace. You know, Jonah thought that God had sent him into the sea to hit the delete button on him. Now, in the guts of the fish, Jonah is starting to realize God sent him into the sea to hit the resurrection button on him. That if the storm was proof that God controls Jonah's fate anytime, anywhere, then this fish is proof that God will forgive Jonah's sin anytime, anywhere. You know, you can, you can never be too far gone for the grace of God. It is never too late, whatever you're facing, to cry for help because in the gospel, through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, no amount of sin in your life will ever stop God from saying yes to your cry for grace. So do you get the fish? It shows us God's surprising grace and his severe grace, and lastly, his slow grace. Uh, Jonah starts, he's starting to get it. Things are clicking. The connections are, are being made for the first time in the whole story. God's uncommon compassion and grace is starting to make sense for him. And yet at the same time, he doesn't get it. You know, verse 10 says, the Lord commanded a fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You know, vomit in the Bible is a sign of God's displeasure. Now, how could God possibly be not happy with Jonah's prayer? I mean, is this just a little nitpicky here? Jonah cries out for help gets grace and thanks God. What could possibly be wrong with that? Well, actually, when you, when you look under the hood at Jonah's prayer, there are still two big things that he is clueless about. See, first, Jonah doesn't see the size of his need. 
Jonah's prayer is a, is a psalm of thanksgiving. And in the Old Testament, there are two different types of those psalms. One, where God rescues someone from their sin. The other, where God rescues someone from danger. Jonah's prayer is the latter of those two. His situation was the former. And yet at no point in his prayer does he take any responsibility, a shred of responsibility for anything that's happened. In fact, you read through it and and he kind of makes himself come off like the innocent bystander in all of this. God, you cast me out of your presence. These people threw me into the sea. Really? He doesn't see the size of his need and he doesn't see the scope of God's grace. Jonah says in verse 9 what you could sum up as the entire message of the whole Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Meaning it is not the the exclusive rights of of any one person or people. It's God's and God will give it out to whoever he chooses. God will decide who he will be indiscriminately compassionate towards without any input from anyone else, least of all you and me and Jonah. And yet over the next two weeks, we'll see that, that like us, Jonah likes grace for himself. He doesn't like grace for his enemies, for the people who've hurt him, for the people who've wronged him. Jonah is is ecstatic here when God's undeserved kindness rests on him. Jonah blows his lid when God's undeserved kindness rests on Nineveh. After all of this, Jonah still doesn't get the fish. He still doesn't understand. Jonah still thinks that, that God sticks with the good guys and stays far from the bad guys. That now God's just going to sail off into the sunset with Jonah and leave Nineveh off behind to rot. How do we make sense of this? How do we make sense of someone who gets it and yet also seems so clueless? Well, this right here in Jonah 2, this is the slow grace of God that takes a whole lifetime to work out. You know, every fall, our family, we go apple picking up in North Carolina. I grew up apple picking up in New York. I love apple picking. We take our kids there. We make a whole bunch of pies and uh, eat apples for the next three weeks nonstop. And, uh, and, And the other year I was, after we came back, I had this thought that I would love to have an apple tree in our backyard. I don't even know if that's possible in Florida, probably not, but before I even thought about that, I went online and I just Googled, how long does it take an apple tree to grow? From the time you plant the seed till the time the tree grows and you get your first kind of crop of mature fruit, 10 years. Now, I can't keep our cacti alive right now. There is no possible way I am keeping a tree alive and growing and thriving in our backyard for 10 years. And I thought, this is why they have grocery stores. We can, we, you know, bag of apples at Publix can also be sentimental too, right? Well, to quote the author P.T. Forsyth, nothing grows as slow as grace. 
You know, what Jonah is experiencing is the slow grace of God that takes a lifetime to work itself out in us. You see, Jonah's three days and, and three nights in the belly of the fish, and in one sense, they're a caution. They're a warning to us that we can think we're understanding God's grace when really we don't. That we, that we can never assume the gospel because we will, we will daily be reverting back to how we think God should operate, which is always the opposite of his uncommon compassion and grace. And yet, in another sense, Jonah's time in the fish is incredibly reassuring. Because if Jonah, who had this, this unthinkable intervention of God's grace in his life, if he's still a work in progress, then, then maybe it's okay if you and I are too. That maybe we'll never fully get grace. That maybe there will always be places in our lives, parts of our stories, where like Jonah, we are still in process. That maybe this church can be a place where, where we all give ourselves a wide berth. We all give ourselves the patience and long-suffering of knowing we're all Jonah. We all don't fully get the fish. That we will all be continuing to work out God's grace for us in Christ as long as we are alive. So how does this slow grace, though, grow in us? When we look to where Jonah looked, you see, there's a fourth part of his prayer that, that we didn't talk about in the last point. Not just where he is or, or what he does or what he gets, but where he looked. Jonah, he's sinking like a rock. He's been cast out of God's presence. And yet he says in verse four, I will look to your holy temple. In fact, twice in this prayer, Jonah looked to the temple and it changed everything. Now, what was it? What was it about the temple that, that could lift Jonah up from the bottom of the pit? Well, the temple was a place of grace. You know, in the temple, there was the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelled. And in that place was the Ark of the Covenant, which had inside of it the Ten Commandments, the summary of God's righteous requirement for, for anyone who wanted a relationship with him. And above that ark was what's called the mercy seat, where once a year the priest would come in and would sprinkle the blood of the sacrificial lamb on top of it to atone for the people's inability to keep God's commandments. Once a year, Sacrificial blood covers God's righteous requirement, and by grace, God sticks with Israel. Well, in Romans 3, the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. That he is the true sprinkled blood in the true sanctuary of God in heaven that earns us the true atonement that the temple was always pointing toward. An atonement that will not only forgive our failure to keep God's law, 
But having perfectly fulfilled it for us, Jesus now also credits his perfect righteousness, his flawless record to us so that now, united to him in his death and resurrection, in his condemnation and his vindication, by grace, God always sticks with you. That now, nothing can separate you from his love. Even if, like Jonah, you're hitting rock bottom. You know, this is why Jesus says in Matthew 12, do you get Jonah and the fish? Because if you do, you'll start to get me. And if we do, we'll start to see the slow grace of God continue to grow in us. By doing what Jonah did without ever even knowing it. Whether our head's above water or whether we're about to hit rock bottom, looking to Jesus, who by grace sticks close to the people we least expect him to, even us. Let's pray. Father, you are unlike anything that any of us could ever draw up. God, we all somewhere in our heads and hearts, we we think this whole thing runs on you sticking with the good guys, on, on staying far from the bad guys. Father, surprise us with your grace. Surprise us with what the fish is all about that Jesus came in the gospel to stick with the people we least expect them to, which is good news, because that's us. As we prepare now to experience him in this holy sacrament, Spirit, push this message deep down into our stories and into our lives. Help us to get the fish and to get Jesus with him. Amen.